The Whole Ass, a podcast by millennial parents just working through how to give every moment their all. While you listen, nothing is off limits. The Whole Ass, use it or lose it. Welcome to the Whole Ass Podcast. You're here with Philip and Ava. And we are super excited to have you guys here. I'm going to let Ava take it away and tell us what we've got going on today. So we're super excited because ever since we started the podcast, we always talked about interviewing people. Couldn't quite figure out how to do it. And then we finally figured out how we could interview someone virtually. And we had a little bit of technical difficulties. Yeah, a wee bit. Yeah. Um, so it took us like 45 minutes to get her into the room to record her audio. But... We finally did, and it was super exciting, and we kind of just jumped right in in the normal, true Philip and Ava fashion, so we wanted to take a second to introduce her, and I want to say I'm excited about this episode because ever since the beginning, I wanted to talk about therapy and and why everyone should have therapy, so I'm going to toss it back to Philip because he is friends with her, and now I feel like I am friends with her, but I'll let him intro her. So I used to be a teacher, as everybody knows, and our school counselor was Linnell. Now she is Dr. Linnell Plummer. She is uh, nationwide therapy extraordinaire. She has started her own therapy group called Onyx Therapy Group. She really is, how do I say it, the dream come true. If you were to set a dream for something you wanted out of life, she has manifested that and turned that into a reality. And in today's episode, we dive right into talking to her about how that happened and what the special connection she has is with everybody that she she works with and talks to. So Dr. Linnell Plummer, super awesome. We worked together for a few years and she was always an inspiration. And it's so cool to see this come full circle and have her inspire us again on today's episode. So let's take it away. All right, here we go. So when we decided to start this podcast, um, this is our probably going to be 11th or 12th episode. Phil and I's big thing was talking about during COVID, Phil got a therapist and then I tried to get a couple of therapists and they never stuck. And then his therapist said, you know, I'll, if you guys are cool with it, like I'll be Ava's therapist too. And so our big thing about doing this podcast is just like, being open about going to therapy and Phil talks about, you know, struggles that he went through and like why he wanted to do therapy. And I was just having a hard time with COVID and then like coming out of COVID and having all these feelings. So it's like a big thing for us to be like open about therapy, which is why we wanted to talk even when, like before we even did our first recording, we were like, we want to talk to a therapist about why everyone should do therapy. Yeah. Phil was like, I have the person. <laughs> so I'm so excited because this is something that we've always wanted to talk about. So I appreciate you. And I think coming I think on. that was funny too because Yanni hit me up and she was like, Phil needs a therapist for the show. I was like, why didn't Phil just send me a text message? Like, what's good? And she I was like, Oh, oh Phil, oh Phil too good for me. His podcast is too good for me now. Okay. All right, for sure. I see how we rocking and rolling. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm glad no, to be the, here. The funny thing is, and we should talk about this too, you done went and got big fish on us because then I got a I made a phone call or I sent I think I sent you a text message and realistically I was so far down the rabbit hole looking for therapists through our therapist and people didn't want to come on or whatever. 
I I forgot. I completely <laughs> forgot. And then when you messaged me, I was like, uh, Eureka. Obviously, <laughs> Philip should have thought of this. And uh, then when I was like, when you were like, we have to figure out availability, talk to my assistant. I was like, do I have the right number? <laughs> I, 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 I always knew. And it's, and it's funny because you would always talk about like, things at a different level so a higher level than i feel like where many people are kind of operating where you're like seeing seeing what you want to do and setting goals and having ambitions and you know i was just like okay let me get some free food from these ladies downstairs (laughs) because i can't afford enough like i couldn't see that far and now when i went on to find you and i'm like okay we got a doctor she got a website i got a reserve time three months in the future i called jocelyn i was like jocelyn we're legit. Do you know Linnell is famous? Do you know that she's like, she's doing all the things. And that is super awesome because I I didn't see the beginning of your journey, but I definitely knew you at a time when you were, I wouldn't say starting out, but yeah. you're like figuring out the things you wanted to do and where you were going. And you always had a very headstrong approach to the things that you knew you wanted, yeah. which I can appreciate significantly more now yeah. um, in what you did. But I mean, that's crazy. So can you tell us kind of, how you got here, if you always knew that this was going to be what you wanted to do, if this is, like, your ultimate dream? Because I feel like it looks like, at least to those of us who are just regular plebs, like you're living out your purpose and dream, which is something we talk about on here all the time. For sure, Phil. Oh, my God. That made me uh, giggle and walk down memory lane. Yo, for real, though, I'm not even where I'm supposed to be yet, right? Like, and that's the thing that's, like, mind-blowing to me because I've already come so far on this journey. I think the other thing that uh, the major factor that contributed to me being so driven and headstrong is that I came from, like, complete poverty. You know, my mom was addicted to drugs, and we were living um, living in the projects and everything, and I knew that my purpose was bigger than that scene. And some people's purpose is still in that scene. I, I think it's sad when everybody is like, everybody has to move out of the hood or they have to do, some people need to be in that because they their purpose is to motivate other people or to do other things, right? Like I just knew that my, not that I believe that poverty is fair. I, I wanna be clear with that. But I knew that my purpose was bigger than the, environment that my mom had set up for me and so in order to like break through all of those obstacles because there's lots of obstacles being black being a woman being poor you know not having parents that are formally educated in those ways there was a lot I had to break through and so I, I didn't have a choice but to be strong and but to be driven think about like roadblocks I had to like push through every single roadblock um and so this personality that God gave me allows me to to be able to do that. But I'm not even where I'm supposed to be at yet. And every time I'm like, dang, there's one more thing. Oh, oh there, you got something else for me, God. I, I'm, go, okay, I'm going there. All right. And so it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I am curious about where I'm going to end up, you know, but here I am at uh, 42 or 25, whatever we're saying today. And uh, And I know that I still got at least another... 20 active years of productivity and then probably another 20 years after that of passive productivity too. I definitely see myself living into my 80s and 90s and being just as headstrong as a as an elder. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I I love that you talked about where you came from yeah. and that's that's another one of the pieces that I I think back on that we wanted to touch on was race stigma. Yeah 
especially around therapy, because I feel like even in my household, therapy was a very touchy subject and we all needed it, like needed to have it. But it was like, ooh, don't put your problems out in the street. Don't let other people know. And do you feel do you feel specifically with people of color? And I'm sure it's this way for everybody. But do you feel like it affects us to the point where we don't need to go to therapy or think we don't or have seen too much where it's not going to help us like what are your thoughts on black people or people of color in therapy yeah uh part of the reason i started doing this work and as you mentioned started it at centronia and dc bilingual is because the population were people of color um primarily black kids and latino kids which is what why the name was centronia is a combination of spanish and swahili right which meant the center of purpose so i was always drawn to that Um, And my company is still focused primarily on working with people of color in the private practice in the school-based settings. The government work that we do is far more universal, but I do think that it's important for the private practice and school-based side to have representation of Black therapists because um, many Black folks are fighting those taboos and those stigmas, right? Like they know that something is going on with them, something doesn't feel right, is not, you know, showing up the way that they want it to show up. But we have been socialized to not trust white people in leadership, particularly. So remembering my own memories, and I think that God has been instrumental in my life in letting me experience so much so that I am relatable to so many people. But with that, I remember being in the hood and all the um, therapists, all the social workers that came in were white folks. And they never brought anything positive. So when a social work showed up, it was because they were about to separate a family because of suspected child abuse or that they were going to take away some of our government assistance in in our food stamps or our checks because our dad was living at home now and he wasn't supposed to live at home. Or, you know, our school uh, said that we weren't consistently coming to school and so they had to check on us. So it wasn't ever positive to have a therapist around or to have a social worker around. Um, and it always ended up leading to some sort of negative outcome. And and that's even more so when you think about it from a historical perspective of slavery in this country, like you just didn't tell other people your business because the results were death. The results were separation. The results was being con- being perceived as incompetent which had its own levels of death as well. Um, And then when you take that and you move through history and we go through the 20s and the 30s, the 40s and the 50s, where we're trying to reconcile our families because they have been separated through slavery, um, telling people your business just didn't result in anything positive. And therapy is all about telling people your business. So we're, we're not just fighting one generation's perspective of consequences around telling one's business. We're fighting generations on generations on generations of fear um, that created these taboos. So if we're gonna tell our business, we're more likely to tell it to somebody who looks like us, um, who understands us and who we don't have to explain what it means to be black or to be a woman or to be in poverty or to be fighting through middle-class or to be trying to increase generational wealth or educational attainment. like. Nobody wants to go to therapy and have to tell everybody what it means to be them. They just want to talk, right? And so that's why we have Onyx and and do the work that we do. 
That's that was a whole different way to look at it that I've never really thought about. And I, I think like when I was putting questions together and talking to Phil about it, I was thinking um, when we talked about doing therapy, that we both went to therapy uh, in our first podcast, mm-hmm. I think people came out of the woodworks like, I didn't know you were in therapy. I didn't know. I didn't know Phil was doing that or I didn't know you were. And what's it's like, what's wrong with you is what a lot of people mm, said too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like, what's going on? I didn't know about. And you're like, what? But like, that is such a great way to put it that I like never thought about. I don't know. That, yeah. Yeah. That, and that's been in, in most recent years. Um, that's been what a lot of my work has been centered on. So of course I, I still do direct services. I still have clients and, and the therapists and Onyx still do direct services as well. But a large part of my work, again, most recently has been on normalizing conversations around mental health because people don't even think about how mental health is tied into our day-to-day experiences, how mental health is tied into how we get money and how we keep money, right? Like, how do you feel on payday versus how do you feel when you 10 days after payday, (laughs) right? Right. How do I feel on bill day? How do you feel on bill day, right? Like, how do you feel when the money is leaving your account? Like, people love tax season when they are about to get these refund checks. Like that is emotion, right? Like let's talk about how that connects to mental health, right? Or let's talk about how if your spouse is having a series of bad days, how that affects your own mental health because you don't feel seen, you don't feel attached, you know, you feel like there's a disconnect there. And now you're wondering like, is our relationship going to make it? Can I do this? Can I do that? Or what about when our kids start doing stuff that we did when we were younger that we now know is problematic, right? And we're like, man, you can't be talking to your friends like that. And oh my God, I remember, are they gonna spaz out? Are they gonna have social skills? Or what does that mean for me? How does that reflect on me? It's been, all of that is related to mental health. And But people think that mental health is only depression and only anxiety and only post-traumatic stress or yeah. only reactive attachment theory and it, a reactive attachment um, disorder. It's so much more. It's time management. It's discipline. It's motivation. It's when you choose to rest, when, why you don't rest. It's increasing hobbies. It's senses of worth. It's how you choose your partner. Like all of that, all, all of that is mental health. And if people see that mental health is such a part of their day-to-day life, it'll make them want to understand themselves more and understand therapy. Yeah. But because we haven't really had a full span of normalization around these conversations, um, people still are kind of scared and turned off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We did not give her the book of our lives before she nailed it. Everything that we feel. I mean, we just went through um, the like the, the like rise and fall of monetary stress and then how that spreads out into the rest of your yeah. life. Like we like that just happened yeah. to me personally where I was feeling it and then it like changed my whole cycle and Spinning. unpacked. Well, it didn't unpack. It brought <laughs> up all of the monetary stress from my whole yeah. life. Uh, I talk with my therapist about how there's a whole train of cars behind yeah. me and I'm just running down the track. Don't think anything of it. But then when something stopped in front of yeah. me, right, which is like the monetary stress, then I, all these cars catch up to me. I'm like, Oh my yep. goodness. Will you look yep. at all of this yep. that I got? Yep. And yeah, I mean, sorry, I went. I was gonna say. Well, I was gonna say too. It's so true because you're working on that, and I am working on like I have ADHD. So like a lot of times we talk about like how am I prioritizing? What am I working on next? And so I'll say people will be like, "What do you talk to your therapist about?" I'm like, "Well, sometimes we like get into like deeper things, but sometimes it's literally just 
what am I working on? Am I like falling off the plan that we made for my ADHD? And people be like, oh, that sounds like a life coach. And it's like, is that what you have to tell yourself to feel better? <laughs> like, I don't care. I like my therapist. I don't care that she's a therapist. But it is. It's like people have to, like, make it okay in their head. Mm. And it's like it doesn't need an explanation. It's For me, it's good to talk to someone. And I didn't realize how much it did help me in my day-to-day to work through stuff like that. Sure. And I will say it is interesting and in how I found the connection between Philip and I is having one therapist – seems a little bit funny because we didn't do couples therapy and then we just started like doing it occasionally. It's very helpful because I'll be talking to our therapist about maybe things that we're dealing with as a couple and she'll be able to be like, well, these are the things that like Philip is like working through and like maybe why he's coming at you in this way. And I'm like, that is some perspective (laughs) that having a joint therapist has been really helpful for us. So I don't know. And but. we did give specific, explicit permission to share yes, we did. each other's information. Okay. Because, you know, right yeah. now, I was like, ethically, I was like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. No. But, no. okay. No, we, we asked We for signed that. all the paperwork. Okay, okay. And, and, and now we do join therapy. And that's, a, that's also, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want to share my therapist with my spouse or with somebody else and things like that. But think about if there was only... If we were living in like a rural area, there was one therapist and the, you know, 2000 people like you're going to share your therapist. It's really a matter of like yeah. putting some boundaries around what what that looks like, how that looks like and how you want to move forward. I mean, the way that Onyx ended up hitting off is that a, one person came to me and and then invited one of their friends and then their friend became my client and then another friend. And at one point I'm like counseling a whole friend group, right? But uh, <laughs> but as we talked about before, I'm a Virgo, so I could compartmentalize things really well and, and it wasn't any carryover. But I mean, that was the, 10 years ago, right? And and still rocking and rolling with some of those people now. Many of my clients, some of my clients right now though, they use me as like maintenance. I'm like the cute little puppy that they have on the side, right? Like I have a therapist, you know what I mean? I'm going to my <laughs> therapist today. And I'm like, what? You know, so, yeah. but- it's a it's a status thing for some people, and then for some people, it's a it's a major need. Everybody in my house yeah. is in therapy. That's like a requirement. If I could put my dog in therapy, it would happen because I think I he's crazy. Um, but <laughs> he, his, his therapeutic needs are different than our therapeutic needs, right? Like, yeah. but um, can, yeah. Can you talk more about the Onyx Group? Like, how many people do you have working for you? What is the, you know, do they? do virtual therapy do they in person is it only in the dc area yeah Can you talk more about that that's my baby right um <laughs> i'm gonna talk about them but for a second let me talk about that i've been doing this for about 10 years now having a, having a business and it was a few years ago that i had the aha moment that i was not my business and my business was not me and that sounds very simple right but I had put so much effort and energy into this business and and thought that my purpose was in Onyx and Onyx's purpose was tied to me. And Onyx is so much bigger than me. Onyx is, I, I get to just lead the work, but Onyx has its own purpose. One of my clinicians was in Columbia a couple years ago and they were on a bus with some folks that were going to see uh, Palenque and they were asking people like, oh, where do you work? And my therapist was like, I work for Onyx. And there was another person on the bus that said, my counselor is in Onyx, right? And this happened in Columbia. Like our, wow. our work our work is so big and, um, wow. and I love it. 
So Onyx is headquartered here in DC. We have um, three offices in DC, and then we have four offices in Maryland. We also have office in Pittsburgh, and we do work in Minnesota as well. We're also doing national work through our government side of, of the company. So like Delaware, um, Georgia, and things like that as well. So if, if I can, um, if my dreams come true, Onyx is going to be every place that Black people are. And and wow. that is big, right? And even if that means that we just have a training that we do here or something that we do there, I just need Black people to normalize those conversations around therapy and everybody else who Black people interact with, which is everybody, right? So, yeah. but it is important to me that Black folks get the healing that they need because we're a couple of decades behind on some of these traditional um, healing work that's out there and available to us. There's 30 of us in the company, 30, um, and there's 27 Black women. And then we have um, a couple of guys, and then we have a white woman who, Phil, you might remember. You remember Catherine, Catherine Rinkes at um, no. DCB? But she's, she used to be my intern, like back in the day. She was my intern, and now she's been with us for, I don't know, maybe like six years. Um, so. Wow. Yeah, so it's a lot of us, a lot of offices, a lot of good work. We are doing private practice therapy. We're doing school-based therapy. We do education, training, professional development. And of course, we have our government contracts, our federal government and DC-based and Maryland-based contracts as well. That is, I mean, it is so amazing because I can see different levels of you professionally, mm -hmm. personally, growth, all of those things. It's an inspiration to where I find myself in life trying to figure out what my passion is and how to go after it, yeah. to see a success story for somebody who looks like yeah. me or just somebody that I know, which is so hard to come by, yeah. I feel like. So kudos, big kudos, because I just, it's amazing. Like awesome, awesome, amazing stuff. Thank you. I, I do you have a therapist? Do you so you said you Heck yeah, I got a therapist. That's my girl. What? <laughs> <laughs> and get this. That's awesome. And I, I've gone to therapy on and off for for most of my adult life. I started to become a therapist. Like I, I started my training when I was 22 years old to become a therapist. And I just can't, you know, you gotta practice what you preach, right? I can't be out here telling everybody to go to therapy and I don't go to therapy. The other major part of that is um my graduate degree, my undergraduate and graduate degree are from Howard University. And when I was getting my graduate degree, it was a requirement for all of us to be in therapy. And the, per the perspective behind that was we cannot help a client if we've never been a client. Like the vulnerability that's required to be a client, like the confusion that shows up, like, should I say this? Should I not? Can this person hold space for me? Can they not? Like, oh my God, I feel horrible saying this out loud or I feel liberated saying this out loud. You don't really understand it if you've never been in that position, right? And so that's one of the beauties that I love about Howard. And now I teach at Johns Hopkins and it's something that I had been wanting for the students. I'm actually gonna be leaving Johns Hopkins. This is the first time I'm saying it publicly um, because I'm actually writing a book. I just signed my book deal for Norton Publishing. Yeah, it's a two-part book and I, it's coming out next year. And so I can't do both, right? But I was like, so this is my first time. Hey, listen, y'all got this breaking news. Breaking news, right? Boom. So That's right, ladies and gentlemen, exclusive. You heard it here first, the whole last podcast. Oh my God, I need your autograph. I got to 
gotta find. <laughs> gotta come I gotta get find that some book signed. First. Yeah, I gotta. Oh, <laughs> that that's book. awesome. But yeah, that's so exciting. So I started therapy, but this I, I started therapy because of Howard, and then when I had my son, I had a late onset of postpartum disorder. So shout out to um, Black Maternal Mental Health Week. It just ended on Sunday, but I had postpartum depression. And it was a late onset. So my son was seven months when I had my first um, postpartum symptom. And so I immediately addressed that. I was working at DCB at the time. So I was in therapy for that. Then I was cool for a while. Like I didn't, I was trying to just live life. So I wasn't doing therapy as actively as um, I should have. Had a major bout of depression um, and then re-experienced therapy, engaged again. And then um, when I got married a few years ago, I decided to go back into therapy because I had a fear of sabotaging my marriage. Uh, I know all the things about couples therapy and work and attachment. I know all of that very uh, professionally, right? And I know it emotionally too, but it's something different when you're actually in it with a spouse. And so I was afraid that I was gonna sabotage our um, union. So I started therapy. And I've been, and I have not sabotaged our union, thank, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> but, good, good. but uh, I, it, it allowed my wife to see therapy from a different perspective. So then she's in therapy. And then of course my kids, just as a matter of like maintenance and things like that as well. So I see my yeah. therapist, I love her. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. When I say she's amazing, she has got to be amazing, right? Yes, <laughs> so yeah. she's yeah. absolutely yeah. amazing, but that's my girl. That's so cool. Yeah, that's I awesome. feel like there's so many. I, I love that you're talking about the experience, like exposing people to what therapy is and how it needs to be normalized. Yeah. I feel like during the riots in 2020 and 2021, yeah. I was doing some conversations about the black experience in America to people who don't understand what that's yeah. like. Um, so and and it was it was it was fascinating to watch people's eyes open, whether they took it and did something with it unclear but it's fascinating to watch them be exposed to a whole nother level yeah. of normalizing what happens in society like this is what would happen to me if i got pulled yeah. over and so for you to be doing this i feel like this is its own profession body of work just giving people real world experience yeah. of things that they may not understand yeah. and it's a different way to think about therapy and mental health than i've ever really considered but i think it's so powerful like just having that Here's what it is. Here's how it works. Here's why it works. You know, for people who might be willing to consider it brings a certain level of people over that wouldn't have otherwise considered doing this, which is super awesome. Yeah. I'm like jazzed up about it. I want to know how I can help, how I can like help with the outreach. That's a whole other, but it's, but it's so much awesomeness packed in there. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask is kind of if you have somebody or, or there's anybody out there on this podcast who's listening to it right now and they're thinking, oh, therapy. I've thought about that. I'm not really sure. They're on the fence, maybe. What would you tell them? And like, what would you tell them to make them either think or like get more involved with that process for therapy? Like, what would be your question or, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah. What would you say? It's interesting because, um, based on my professional ethics and my personal values, I, I would never, tell someone to go to therapy if they didn't think that they were ready for therapy. And I know that sounds odd because I absolutely want everybody in therapy and I think everybody benefits from therapy, but therapy is a vulnerable process and one has to be willing to um, 
peel back some of the layers of themselves and to expose parts of themselves that they're even afraid of showing to themselves. There's, there's our own shadows and parts of us that we are afraid of for ourselves, and not even just to explore with someone else. And so a person has to be ready for that. It doesn't mean that they have to know what all the processes or the outcomes or anything like that, but you have to just at least be ready for that initial feeling of vulnerability. Um, so I guess my first thing would be to tell folks, go, I, I don't want to sound egotistical. That's not my purpose, but go in and Google my name and see some of the articles that come up that I write about. And if any of those relate to you, then it's time to go ahead and start doing some therapy. I wrote an article, I think for Glamour, just recently on this concept of limerous. And limerous is a term that most lay people don't use, but it's really this idea of um, over-infatuation in the beginning of meeting somebody. You know, this this idea that like, we I have love at first sight and I'm head over heels and you know, we've been dating for two months and now we're about to like go and move in together and get married. And then after those couple of months, they realize like this is not the right person for them. And they end up becoming serial monogamous, right? Like always looking for someone. There's a clinical term for that called limerous. And it's actually a bit problematic because it means that there's insecure attachments. And the insecure attachments started from um, their childhood experience. It's likely that their parent was dangling love and affection in front of them. So they were always like trying to grab towards this love and affection and subsequently they find themselves repeating that pattern in intimate relationships. Um, and then there's a the chemical connection and bond related to dopamine and oxytocin um, when we start to become physically intimate with someone, which happens really fast when people have limerous. And so then there, it becomes challenging to separate, right? And you guys are probably like, Linnell, what the hell? Like we didn't ask that question. But a person who does things like that may need to be in therapy. It doesn't mean that they have reactive attachment disorder. It doesn't mean that they're depressed. It doesn't mean they're anxious. It means that there's something that's occurring that they have to kind of acknowledge and work through. And I have tons of articles about our normal day-to-day -day life and experiences and how they connect to mental health. So I guess the easiest thing would be go and find one of my articles, see if it relates to you. If it does, then start, start your therapeutic process or read blogs. Like we got lots of mental health blogs on the website <clears throat> and I do all of that to normalize conversations. So people could be like, I do relate to that. You know what, let me go ahead and take a couple months of exploring that. Being in therapy doesn't mean that you have to be in therapy for years, if, especially if that's not your thing. In fact, there's certain therapeutic models like solution-focused therapy or strength-based therapy where you're only in therapy for like four weeks or you're only in therapy for like eight weeks. Like you don't have to be in there for you know, ever, if that's not what you want, but get a, get a refresher, you know, explore yourself, create some self-awareness, um, and then see how you feel after that. I know that was a long answer, oh, right? Self-awareness. No, yeah. there's, no, I haven't had a long beautiful. answer yet. It was amazing. Like everything that you Hanging say, I'm on like, everywhere. seriously, <laughs> and, and for some reason, everything you say seems I can connect with somehow where I'm having these aha moments, like I need to go to therapy, but I'm already in therapy, <laughs> so I just need to continue to go to therapy. You know, that, that, kind of thing that you grow up with that you are looking at your children like you're talking you don't want to necessarily instill in them that's important so it's crazy that you say that because where do all of these little pieces fit into how i act every day that's right. and is this the person that i want to be or that i see in my mind's eye when i'm talking about my actions and that's what i love unpacking in therapy is like here's where i think i'm screwed or here's where i think i messed up or what i did this week i want to change this mm -hmm. 
what am I not seeing to give you a perspective to help you down this journey? Mm-hmm. I'm going to read your articles, okay? <laughs> just for the record, because I love that. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. I was gonna say, yeah. I was going to say I was looking at your website for, you know, just some research before we talked. And I was like, Phil, have you looked at their website? I mean, they have cooking. Yeah. They have cooking recipes. <laughs> you guys have recipes. There's other podcasts she's been on. Like, it, it's just uh, so informative. And I feel like it's a great place to go when you are just like looking for stuff. And I was like, Phil, should cook some of these recipes. <laughs> you better hurry up and get them now because I'm about to change them up. My team said, oh, no. they were like, hey, we need some more staff picks. I was like, I got this quarter. I'll do this quarter. I'm going to pick out some things. But yeah, we have we have the, the cooking stuff on there and all of that because a, a part of mental health is is sensory based, right? Like even if we think about it from a, a neurological perspective, that limpic part of our brain that absorbs all of our senses, the things that we taste and touch and see and smell and all of that, it then connects to our amygdala, which is right next to it. So what we see and touch and smell and taste connects to our feelings. And then from our feelings, it goes to our frontal cortex, which then starts to connect to our thoughts and our executive functioning. So basically what I'm saying is what you smell in your house is going to control what you think and what you taste out of your mouth is going to control how you feel. Right. And, and so if I know that, then it's my responsibility to say, Hey, let's, let's monitor what you're tasting. Let's monitor what you're reading. Let's monitor what you're watching so that you could assess and create your own self-awareness and say, Hey, like I'm getting better at something or, like you mentioned, feel like I'm becoming the, the version of myself that I want to be um, or not. And let me make some steps. Ava, you mentioned something before about somebody saying, hey, that sounds like a life coach. And I wanted to highlight that real quick in that um, therapy has a, a model, a theory called behavioral theory that is connected to the behaviors that we do, the reinforcements that we have, the accountability the rewards, the consequences and such. Life coaching is rooted in, life coaching is similar to behavioral theory and therapy, but it's not the same because even behavioral theorists will also highlight emotions and they will highlight how somebody was reinforced and how to make those changes. Where coaches are like the coaches we see for sports, right? In that they see everything is observable for them. It's all about what you can see. And so a coach sees something and then they make a correction for you. They tell you what to do versus a therapist highlight. They see something and they highlight it to you and they ask you, what do you want to do about it? Because we don't want our clients mm. dependent on us as therapists. We want to give them insight, to give them awareness so that they can make decisions that they feel proud about. Um, towards the end. So I respect life coaches and we have some life coaches that we work with in partnership, but I want to be clear that coaching has one function and therapy has a different function. And um, of course, as a therapist, I recognize the depth that comes in with therapy. And I also recognize the positive function of coaching, but those are two different things. And, uh, and, and I want to be able to make sure that people don't become dependent on coaches when therapists is what I believe many people actually need to experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had said the last time about like uh, stuff in our house, but also news and stuff, things that we're reading, things that we're like intake. I think that the news is super heavy right yeah. now. And I know there's a lot of conversation around mental health and social media. And I do a, like a spiral when I read news 
like I was just talking to Phil about it yesterday. I read uh, like a news article and then I just like had a breakdown at our kitchen table. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's heavy for me. And he's always like, you need to stop ingesting so much news. So I am working on that. But is there something that you can tell like our listeners about, about that, like social media affecting your mental health or like tactics or tips that you might um, suggest on how to to deal with how much information we're just like ingesting. Not you asking me that 40 minutes into the conversation. That's a whole podcast on its own. You hear me? Like, <laughs> which, which I, Maybe I'm selfishly asking for myself. If you would, if you are open to it, I would love to have another podcast about these topics. Yes, Phil and Ava, I am absolutely open to it. There's no way we could have a full, have the fullness of conversations in one hour. So, you I know, know. just, just hit up my assistant. We make it work. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> but it, but in short, in short, Ava, uh, social media is actually social media and parts of the news is actually counterproductive to our mental health. Right? We it most people don't understand how to utilize social media properly. And so social media, because of the, the way that our brains absorb information so quickly um, and the scrolling that happens so quickly in social media, we actually are changing our brain. So we're gonna see some, some evolutional changes within the next generation or so. Uh, and we're gonna see that also because of the young children who experience COVID, uh, our experience growing up during COVID. Nonetheless, social media has oftentimes in most recent, been used to put people in comparison to other people, right? Like you should look like this, you should dress like this, your marriage should be like this. They create these standards um, of expectation and socialization that is far more intense than what we experienced before we had that particular technology. So what it's happening is it's causing people to constantly be in comparison, which causes people to operate in a depressed, mo a, a depressed mode. And so if social media is to be used properly, it should be used to motivate people. But we have to understand that motivation is a feeling. It's not just an experience and it's not an action. And so our feelings are flight, flighty, right? Like we don't always feel sad. We don't always feel motivated. We don't always feel happy, et cetera. So we need to, now, we need to change what we are following on social media because the motivation will decline. But if we're constantly following something that's positive and uplifting, um, and moving forward, then it allows us to maintain these feelings of motivation, which then leads to these feelings, of, these experiences of discipline, which allows us to create our goals and to, to live in our goals. But that's not how social media is designed. Social media is designed based off of likes and it's based off of engagement. And then, of course, our phones pick up on what we say, even when we try to block them. And that's how you have these ads. So social media picks up on our insecurities. And then we start seeing all of these insecure, these messages that um, continue to contribute to our insecurity and we start to feel anxious and depressed. So in some of the school-based work that I do, I go to different schools and I talk to young children about the implications of social media so that they understand how to restructure their social media platforms um, so that they're not dependent on social media for the validation that they're looking for or for the identity development that they're looking for. And then the news even more because it's sensory. So social media, you can either turn off the sound or not. But the news that we watch on TV is both visual and it's also auditory, right? So we're getting two sensory elements there. And like I mentioned, it moves through the amygdala into our thoughts. 
So it's this compounding information of negative news. And although it's so negative, like, you know, there may be one murder in our neighborhood, but there's like 10 births that were just happened. We only hear about the one negative thing. So we start to perceive the world negatively as opposed to positively. So then we start to live our life based on fear, which then allows us, which then causes us to hold on tight to things as opposed to opening our hand for the abundance of beauty and nature that's around us. So the news is actually contributing to people's negative um, mental health as well. But they're not going to stop that because it's connected to capitalism and money and things like that. So what we need to do is monitor and have parameters around how much we actually watch. I don't watch the news regularly. Um, and I am only also I put limits on my phone on social media. So it alerts me when I've been on social media for too long and things like that. But there's all these things that we can do to kind of monitor that and to help us create it as a habit. In the very beginning, it's hard to do. It's hard to just stop watching news or to get off the social media after like 20 minutes or whatever the case may be, um, because we've been so conditioned and staying in that space for so long. So sometimes we need to use outside elements and reinforcers to get us back on track and create new habits for us, as well as having replacement behaviors. So when my phone alerts me that I've been on social media for too long, then I just pick up a book and I don't use my Kindle because that's tempting to stay on my phone. So I pick up an actual book and I start reading for the same amount of time that I was just on the social media. And that gets me more involved in my book. So when we stop something, like we reduce our social media time or we stop listening to the news as much, we have to have a replacement behavior because there's a gap there that has to get filled. So, wow. yeah. I hate to have to be the person to say this, okay. but our time is up okay. and I'm sad about it because it took us so long to get started. I know. This is am amazing. balls. whatever. <laughs> You're talking to you is so, well, it's refreshing. It's informative. It's very easy to digest. And I feel like you are speaking to me. Like <laughs> that is awesome. Yay. I appreciate so much you being here with us, being able to share your knowledge with us. You have like, I don't know, I have all the accolades in the world, <laughs> but I will say I would yeah. love to have you back on um, to address several other issues. I will reach out immediately to try and get the earliest slot, probably late 2026. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to say, yeah, because I have 18,000 more questions. <laughs> oh, I have. Oh, but the overarching thing that I think I heard from you is we have to work on normalizing our mental health even more. Yeah. And I think people talk about it, they roll their eyes, but it's so true. I'm in a much better place now. Yeah. And COVID really exposed me to going down a dark path yeah. mentally where I'm like, it's all just everything inside my yeah. head, but it, I love it. I want to get you a bus, like the like we'll be like Red Cross, Blood Drive, <laughs> and Onyx Therapy. Yes. You know, we're like following each other around. I'll oh drive gosh. the bus. It's <laughs> It's so important. Thank you so much for, sure. for all that you share. You share. Yes, with us. yes, of course, for sure. Always, I'm here. But That's it. Thanks for listening to the whole ass podcast. We love that you are part of the whole A family. If you are enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, give us a five star rating, and share with your friends. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. If you have topic suggestions or want to let us know how you are using your whole ass, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at thewholeasspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>